we're not always going to have an FCC that's this good. And so uh, I hope we can both um, get what we can out of it, but also recognize that we need to still have local control over networks so we're not just depending on the FCC to protect us. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Today, Chris and I have switched roles a little bit. He's been traveling all over the country lately. He's going to tell us a little bit about his travels lately and the first place that he went to. And I'm sure that everybody is not surprised to hear this. He was in D.C. And Chris, what were you doing there? Well, I was able to attend the open meeting of the Federal Communications Commission where they discussed the muni petitions from Chattanooga and Wilson as well as the net neutrality decision. And I was actually in the room watching it unfold. It was pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. I watched a little bit. Uh, well, I watched the whole thing actually from afar. But um, tell us a little bit about that. Describe what it was like. What, what did it feel like? Well, it felt it felt quite historic. Um, and it also felt really fun because I was sitting next to Bill Valley and Harold Feld uh, sitting between the two of them. And, and it, I think they're two of the best senses of humor in our in our line of work. So oh God, H- Harold's <laughs> tweets were hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, you know, I was sitting there watching their discussions. Um, even even when they came in, actually, it was the three commissioners that that's, have been supporting our positions all along. Uh, commissioners uh, Rosenworcel. Clyburn and uh, and uh, Chairman Wheeler and they came in and and were clearly in a in a good mood and and they had actually <laughs> grabbed hands um, at one point and there's some photos that that came from that um, but it was it was rather entertaining because I gather that that Commissioner Clyburn is often the last one to enter and this time the three commissioners that were there first and happened to be waiting for the other two were the ones that were all united on all the matters that they discussed that day. I was wondering about that. I, I remember them joking about that. And, and I was wondering, what, I knew there had to be more to that. Yes. So, you know, I mean, I don't know, you know, we're not very close FCC watchers at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. We try to focus on what's happening outside of D.C. So uh, it was, uh, I was trying to figure out what was normal and what wasn't uh-huh. as we went. The decision came down. The uh, the laws in Tennessee and North Carolina were overturned. Just to make sure people are clear on what happened, you know, right now Chattanooga can offer telephone service anywhere in the state, but it can only offer internet service within its electric boundaries. Cities that do not have an electric utility, they actually can't offer services at all. They're they're totally preempted by the state. So the decision in Tennessee uh, is basically one that will only really impact the municipal electrics there. Uh, the decision in North Carolina seems to go much further and it will impact uh, all the cities in the state, we believe. But as of now, we still have not seen the final rules. So we don't actually know. Uh, but the sense that we've gotten is that basically uh, North Carolina will be going back to a state it was in before 2011 when they passed the, the Time Warner Cable rules that pretty much took local self-reliance and local choice away from communities. So the situation in North Carolina is different from the situation in Tennessee. So during the discussion about municipal networks and the laws in Tennessee and North Carolina, was there anything in particular that you saw that you thought was interesting? Well, it was really nice to see the some of the people that had made the trip up. Uh, some people from just outside of Chattanooga's boundary, for instance, 
um, the gentleman from Holly Springs that we had interviewed on our podcast previously, uh, they were in the room and they were there uh, hoping that they would get a favorable decision, of course. And and the chairman actually acknowledged their presence and, and explained why they were in the room, because this would be historic and, and so beneficial for them. Um, but what, what the most interesting moment for me during the whole thing was when Commissioner O'Reilly was dissenting and saying that he thought that the FCC should not be taking this action. He said, he claimed that, that when he sat down with people from Wilson, that they had said that the state law wasn't that bad and that, and that it wasn't a barrier for them. And I, I leaned back in my chair to look across the room and I caught Will's eyes, Will Acock, who's the, um, the, the person that runs the, the Greenlight Network. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The general manager for the Greenlight Network, I believe, and and he just he shook his head no, like I have no idea what this guy is claiming. Um, so I, I thought it was it was a rather interesting moment. Um, I also I also thought that Commissioner Pye was remarkably clear, and I'd have to go back and to see what he said again. But but he never really seemed to come out and say local governments shouldn't do this. He seemed to be just focused on this issue of laws and states and that sort of thing. And I thought that was interesting. So let's talk a little bit more about Commissioners Pye and O'Reilly's opposition to network neutrality. Yes, sure. They there was long and and I would describe it as being, you know, there was significant parts that were very well ground in in reasonable disagreement. Um and then with these incredible leaps of just totally unreasonable claims. I mean, it would be like it would be like spending a lot of time talking about reasoned um, opposition to current NASA science policy and then suddenly just throwing in that you thought the moon landing was faked mm-hmm. um, in terms of, I mean, this whole bit about how this is Obama's plan and Obama forced it through and this and that. It's lunacy. I mean, it really is crazy. We had 4 million people commenting on this issue. Um, you know, and, and the President Obama was only one of the more recent ones to come around on it. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just this, this idea that somehow the plan came out of the White House is, is crazy. And especially more so because it's not unusual for the White House to put comments on the public record when it comes to independent agencies. In fact, that's sort of how it's supposed to be done. The President mm-hmm. is not supposed to have secret meetings. And I've seen no suggestion that he had. I just see that he made his his uh, opinion known, and that's what happened. And for um, some of the Republicans on this issue to be claiming that this is, you know, out of bounds is mm-hmm. um, is very odd. You know, I, I certainly understand why people may disagree about Title II, and I think it's totally incorrect to say that this is ancient. Um, authority, that this is somehow old school regulation for a monopoly era. Like, I disagree with that, but I understand the argument. You know, the argument that the president was somehow impermissibly getting involved is just, that's crazy talk. Uh, you know, maybe we'll have to come back to that in one of our crazy talk series. Right. <laughs> well, you know, they. I'm sure it's just perpetuating this engine that they've had going for a long time, you know, overreach, overreach. I think so. Yeah. They're always trying to pit the, the common people against this idea of being overly governed. Well, I'm I'm worried about it, frankly, because, you know, it's a similar sort of thing. There was a lot of things that people could disagree with during the health care debates, but there were no death panels. And the idea that there were death panels, 
that poisoned the discussion. And that's the exact same strategy we seem to be seeing right here. And I, I've had this thought many times since that hearing is all of these crazy claims about how this is Obama net and it's going to kill the, the investment and this and that. Um, you know, there's there's things you can say accurately and things that I think are just dramatic overreach. And and it worries me because when you hear the same message over and over again that this is a government taking over the Internet, well, it's totally incorrect. And it also has the, the threat of, I think, poisoning um, a lot of these discussions, which is what the cable and telephone companies want. The cable and telephone companies don't want people on the left uniting with people on the right to oppose cable monopolies. And, and, and this right, is a because sort of, they want to be the ones that take over the internet. Exactly. That's just it. It's, it's incredibly frustrating to see that some of the, some of the people on the right are falling for this idea that somehow, you know, letting Comcast be a gatekeeper would be pro freedom of speech. It's, it's not correct. So this decision was made and, you know, you left DC and you worked your way back onto the back onto the rails, although into the sky is more accurate in this case. I, I rode some rails as well. Did you? Did you? I did. Okay. So you, um, you, you went to Freedom to Connect in New York. I don't know if that was next, but that was, I think, the next big event you went to. That's right. And and I think my presentation, I don't know if it's online yet, but it should be online soon. And we'll definitely have it on muninetworks.org when it's ready. Um, but uh, I gave a presentation there in which I talked about uh, the need for to sort of think more broadly. And and I feel like for many cities, they're, they don't want to recreate the cable model. You know, I think Wilson and Chattanooga, Lafayette, these cities have done a good job and they've, they've done what they could. They've built networks without any taxpayer dollars. Um, but fundamentally, I think a lot of communities are trying to figure out what they can do without having to get into that level of detail, without having to compete against the Comcasts and the Verizons and the AT&Ts and everyone. You know, cities want to build infrastructure. And so I was proposing ways that cities could try Try and invest in passive infrastructure, well, you know, dark fiber and, and and open networks that would be open to multiple parties. And I, I discussed some of the challenges with that. And and fundamentally, I, I said I think that for the kind of networks we want to build, the kind of networks that are discussed at an event like Freedom to Connect, if we really want to live in that world, I don't think many of us are going to get there by trying to recreate the cable monopoly. Mm-hmm. And and so that's something that I'm really curious to see where it goes. Did you feel like you got a good reaction? Were people, did it really get people thinking or were people on board or talk a little bit about that? I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really hard to say. At a place like Freedom to Connect, there's so many interesting people with so many good ideas that it's it's hard to say whether whether you got your, your idea apart. And I haven't even watched the video myself. I, I sometimes felt a little scattered. So what I was trying to do is plant a seed and uh and I hope that it you know that, that it resonated with some people. I, I heard from some people that it did. Um but you know it's this is gonna be a multi year process as we as we figure out where to go in this. Um, but I would say that at Freedom to Connect, the mood was definitely much more jubilant about the network neutrality decision. Mm-hmm. And and not even so much the decision itself as just the, the success of organizing people, of getting 4 million people to care about something like this, mm-hmm. you know, of seeing not just, not just a, a certain, you know, class of people get interested, but seeing all the organizing that went into communities of color to make sure that their voices 
voices were heard in Washington, D.C. Um, the, the organizing that went on among uh, so many different groups that just haven't even gotten the credit yet. Um, you know, there's, there's so many people that did so much hard work to just make sure that this was not business as usual. And, and I think that was what just about everyone was celebrating at Freedom to Connect because – Frankly, at Freedom to Connect, there was people who disagreed that felt like either Title II was incorrect or that it wasn't a big enough victory that we should have had, a, you know, the FCC require unbundling or, or other th- sorts of policies to promote competition. So, you know, not everyone was seeing the ex- exact outcome as being success, but pretty much everyone was recognizing that that this was a, a a time to celebrate that we had raised our voices as you know the public interest and the non cable and telephone lobbyists and and getting that voice heard. Yeah, and you know Catherine Rice and I had um, exchanged a few emails um, shortly after that, and she had referred to the whole situation as. A victory, and and she didn't necessarily, and she referred to it as a small victory, but a victory, and that was what mattered. You know, there's there's so much more work that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we desperately need to stop the mergers. Um, we need to make sure that that when the rules come out with network neutrality, that they don't make it too difficult for small providers, particularly munis, to follow them. You know, mm-hmm. this has been a concern from a number of munis and other small providers that the FCC might craft rules that were uh, more appropriate for large providers than small. So, you know, I think we're going to have to keep working with the FCC. And I'm I'm thrilled to say that I, I feel like this FCC is more interested in working with us than, than any other FCC on these matters. It's worth noting that we have a rather powerful block in the public interest right now in the FCC. Um, you know, Commissioner Clyburn has long fought for issues that that were outside the limelight. Uh, her work on prison phone justice. Uh, she supported municipal networks for so long. Um, Commissioner Rosenworcel has been a voice for uh, reforming the E-rate program for our schools. And and Chairman Tom Wheeler has done so much good in terms of trying to promote competition. Uh, this is one of those things everyone likes to say that they're for competition and promoting competition, but I feel like the steps he's taken on, on many decisions um, have have been really um, showing more consideration for the public interest than we're used to seeing out of the FCC. And, and it's worth noting that we're not always going to have an FCC that's this good. And so uh, I hope we can both um, get what we can out of it, but also recognize that we need to still have local control over networks. So we're not just depending on the FCC to protect us. Mm-hmm. Definitely. We have to take advantage of the situation. I think you're right. Great. So where are you going next? I'm going to be in Los Angeles for uh, two days talking with some local governments in the in the L.A. region about what they can do. And then I'll be home for a while. Um, my next trip after that will be to Des Moines for the uh, uh, Iowa Association of Municipal Utilities in the middle of March. Well, have safe travels. I'm sure I'll be talking to you. Great. All right. Thanks, Chris. Talk to you later. Yep. Thanks, Lise. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We are at Community Nets. Thank you once again to Person for the song Blues Walk, licensed through Creative Commons. And thank you for listening. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.